Clinician Insider is a bi-monthly series centering conversations within the clinical community that promote personal and professional growth. On this episode, Drs. Ajay Kurtanay and Sahil Parikh discuss how personal biases impact clinical judgment. Cardiologist. Um, one of the funniest stories I ever heard, because uh, he's probably about you know 250 pounds and not much taller than me, and. Uh, patient says to him, he's like, I can't listen to you. How can you be my cardiologist? You're so overweight. And it, it took that sort of you know, gut punch for him to, to really take it seriously. I have to tell you, the patients totally noticed. And they asked, like, how do you do it? And I used specific technologies and apps and things like that that I could actually speak somewhat intelligently yeah. about because I tried ones that worked, tried ones that didn't work. Yeah. And it, I think, helped them in the end um, across the board. But it was easier at that point to kind yeah. of you know, well, I mean, tell them I, I mean, it gets way. to the issue of bias. We, you know, we are biased by the people we deal with. You know, for example, we see patients that are overweight. Um, it's hard for us to often understand how somebody can let themselves go that much. Uh, and similarly, they see us. And if they look at us and, and we're giving them advice and we're not in the best of shape. Um, they immediately say, oh, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Yeah, but it's hard all around. I had this patient the other day, I, was, I think I was telling you about before, where he um, was really, really big and was referred for a procedure. And it was pretty apparent that the coronary anatomy needed to be dealt with because of what he was presenting with. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you know, the assumption would be that he really let himself go yeah. and that was what it was. No, right. You then speak to him and his wife and they had tried to see four different nutritionists, but they couldn't get in for a variety of you know, more logistical or operational reasons. Um, had been trying to see doctors, had actually knows A1C like that, um, had gotten it down a fair amount and said, I still have a ways to go, but it's gotten yeah. better and supremely motivated to do things. And um, I think that a lot of people just walk into that room and they just they see the picture yeah. and they assume something that's probably not entirely true. Yeah, well, when we talk about it, it's sort of the from, from the door test. No. You know, a lot of our surgical colleagues talk about that when they decide if they're going to take a patient to surgery or not. You know, if you look at them from the door and if they look like they're a good candidate, then you take them. Uh, and so many times, we, you know, we lose a lot of the detail when we just look at that, you know, 60,000 foot view. Um, and it gets to the biases we all have. I mean, we get uh, patients like this all the time who we say, you know, they let themselves go. For example, in the space of peripheral vascular disease, patients who have critical limb ischemia historically have been, you know, been felt to be underprivileged or, you know, so, you know sociodemographically, um, you know, repressed people. Uh, when in fact there's really average people who just have medical illnesses that are, are significant. For example, diabetic patients. Yeah, right. My aunt. Example, that's right. Your 90-year-old aunt who uh, was healthy her whole life until she developed critical limb ischemia. And same thing for my my uncle and people who are, you know, hard chargers and hard workers their whole lives. Um, you know, tax-paying citizens who then, because of the disease process, wind up, you know, developing what's considered a disease of the poor. Uh, and consequently get undertreated. Um, and it just gets to the bias. Um, there's all kinds of things that we deal with all the time. I mean, I think the other thing, too, that is worth mentioning, though, is, I mean, a lot of times people, like, take a look at us, too, and they yeah. think that we're biased one way or the other. I mean, For sure. like, you show up with scrubs and the doc's going to operate. And yeah. then we start talking about, you know, weight loss or, you know, various ways to yeah. improve the glycemic control and that sort of thing. And they're kind of looking at you like, wait, where is this coming from? We right. came for a procedure. But reality, they're coming to get better. And so... Right. 
I think as an interventionalist, it's it's actually nice to be able to walk both of those things, yeah. the procedural as well as the non-procedural, um, because sometimes the, the non-procedural folks can't necessarily know the details yeah. of the procedures. The surgeons, for instance, only know the procedures. They don't know the other stuff as well, potentially, yeah. arguably, yeah. Um, whereas we can kind of bridge that gap a little bit. Well, that's, that's the nice thing about being an interventionalist. Um, you're a doctor first and an interventionalist second often. Um, and I, I think there's nothing wrong with saying that and doing, you know, walking that walk and talking that talk. Whether and you wear the scrubs or the suit. No, it, does, it just depends <laughs> on what day. If that's you're right. in the cath or in the office. That's right. Um, you know, I, I think it's something that we see a lot more even in, in our clinical trials. Um, you know, things are, are pitched one way or the other by, you know, whomever is interpreting it. There's a lot of clinical trials that suggest that medical therapy is equal or better or superior to an interventional or surgical therapy. Um, but the, the difference only shows itself many years down the line. And so for the first several years, how do you decide, you know, what's a better choice? Um, we often fall back on asking the patient. But more often than not, I think we have an intrinsic bias to do what we do, uh, you know, the so-called hammer looking for the nail. Um, and I think we see that more and more. And what's interesting in the era of social media, that's become sort of conflagrated into uh, Twitter wars and things like that. Um, ischemia trial, I think, is a, is a perfect example. Uh, in the vascular space, we have the Basel trial for critical limb ischemia. We, we have uh, trials that are ongoing that we've already decided are not going to tell us the answer <laughs> right. because one group is going to interpret it one way and another group is going to interpret it another way and nothing's going to change that. Um, so, we, you know, we're, we deal with that, that bias every day. I mean, yeah. it's just another form. I think at the end of the day, though, it's actually if you ask the individual docs how they would take care of individual patients, yeah. there's a lot more conversions, um, even yeah. in views that seem to be very polarized. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe there's style differences one way or the other, and obviously the reimbursement scheme may influence some of that as well, on both sides, by the way. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, if you bring it back to the patient, I think it tends to work yeah, itself no, out. It's, I always use the, if it was my mom yeah, test. Exactly. You know, if it was my mom, what would I do? And usually I get the same answer, um, but it's hard to overcome those biases. I don't, I don't know. I don't think there's any easy way around it. Catch new episodes of Clinician Insider on the 15th and 30th of every month. Follow us on Twitter to join the conversation at Clinician Inside, and send us your topic suggestions at clinicianinsider at crf.org. Thanks for listening.